Amen. Praise God. If you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 11 today. We've been in this book of Genesis for this past five weeks, and this is going to be our last week here in these beginning chapters of the Bible. And I want to finish it up here today in Genesis chapter 11. We're going to be looking at the Tower of Babel. And so Genesis chapter 11, we're just going to read the first several verses here in this chapter, beginning in verse number one. It says that the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. It came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto the heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and There confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off uh, to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Man, I'm sure that that if. Most of us in this place today are familiar with this story, but I just want to look at this, uh, look into this scripture today, look into this passage and, and talk about worship and, and where is our, uh, our object of worship. And, and really it's, it, it comes down to our, um, our own, uh, ambitions and, and what kind of pride we may have. And, and sometimes that just gets in the way. Sometimes we have all of these ambitions and all these things that we want to do and accomplish here on earth, and it's not the direction that God is wanting us to go. It's not necessarily uh, always even even evil or awful things, but it's not what God has instructed us to do, or it's not the plans that God has laid out for us. And and I want to go and to do and accomplish the things that God has set out for me. That's That's my goal in life. I want to, uh, it's, it's not about just building a name for myself. It's not about, uh, having the largest bank account or the most toys. It's, it's about God, what can I do to build your kingdom? What can I do in order to do things the way that you have instructed me to do? And so when we look at, at this, this post flood time period, this time when, when Noah had, had exited from the ark, uh, which which he had built it, what we talked about last week. And and after exiting that ark, God had some instructions for Noah. God had told him, it says in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, God said to be fruitful. It says God, he, he blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply 
and replenish the earth. These are the instructions for God or for Noah that God had given him after he had left the ark. So we have just him, his family, uh, just eight souls are left. That's it's all there is upon the face of the earth, just eight people. But God takes these eight people and he says, I want you to go and to replenish the earth. Let's go and, and spread abroad across the earth. Let's go and multiply. Let's have some children. Let's let's build this society back up and and let's uh let's have a um let's have a, a, a kingdom culture. Let's have a culture that uh would this time around follow my plans and my way for life, and that's to be fruitful, to multiply and replenish the earth. And then we also see that God sent this promise, this rainbow that he had sent, and uh, he made that as a covenant promise with the people that were here on this earth. It was in uh, verse 11. He says, I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all the flesh be cut off anymore by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. So God makes this promise with the people. He says, I, I will no longer do that. I won't, I will never flood the earth again and destroy all of, all of creation, all the people that are here. And so these are the promises. These are the things that God instructs them to do after this flood. But as we see time go on and, and we see the generations of, of Noah and generations of, of his family there in chapter 10, the genealogies of Noah. And we're not going to read through all of them, but I do want to just pick up in one little portion of it in chapter or chapter ten, verse number six. We see we see Noah's son Ham had a child, Cush and Mizraim and Foot and Canaan. And then if we skip down verse eight, it says that Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it is said. Even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, in the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. We're going to look in this, into this man, Nimrod, today, because Nimrod was the one who began this conquest of, of trying to build a tower in Babel. Nimrod is this mighty man. We don't, I don't know, uh, we don't see much, much else about him in scripture, uh, as far as, you know, what makes up his mighty acts, what makes him such a mighty man. But, but we do, uh, recognize that, that he was, there was something special about him. There was something, uh, about him that he was able to, to bring people together. We see through, uh, other history books, through other, uh, and through other cultures that, that they point to this man Nimrod as a mighty man. That he was somebody that uh, was uh, was not just a mighty hunter, as it as it instructs here, but was also a mighty builder. He was a man that that had uh, enough knowledge to go and to to build a city and to build this tower. But he he didn't do it according to the ways that that God would do it. God. Uh, now God is, when, when he built, we see how God did it. He built this ark of Noah. He gave Noah some instructions and he says, let me give you the dimensions for this ark that you're to build. But Nimrod didn't get any instructions from God. He just went 
And he says, I have some goals. I have some things that I want to accomplish. I have some things that I want to do. And he did this as it, it was in this land of Shinar. This, this land of Shinar, it's this region, this, um, this region that's stretching from modern Baghdad to the Persian Gulf. It's, it's known as Babylonia because this is the place where Babylon was at. This is the place where he constructs this tower of Babel. And we see that, that word Babel. And, and that word Babel is, it comes to us in our, in our Hebrew, this Hebrew text, this word Belal, this, which means confusion. That's why it says in our text that we opened up with, it says that it was named Babel for the Lord confounded the languages of the, of the people. But, but the, the, the language that came out of that region following this, uh, this tower, following the confusion of the language, the language that, uh, was, was most prominent there was this Akkadian language. And in that language, they didn't call it Belal, Babel, uh, meaning confusion, but it did have the same name, Babel, for this city. And it meant the gate of God. Bab, meaning the gate of, and Ilu, meaning of God. This was the gate of God. This, and this, this tells us a lot. This tells us a lot about what the goals of these people were. Because the goals of, 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 of Nimrod, the goals of the people was, was not simply just to build a, a, a tower. It wasn't just simply to, to come together and, and build a city just like any of the other cities that are out there. But, but he had something uh, much greater at, uh, at stake. He had something much greater in his mind that he wanted to accomplish. And, and then we, we get a glimpse of that here in Genesis 11. Verse four, it says, go to, let us build us a city in a tower whose make, whose top may reach unto heaven. Now, let's just stop there because he, he's wanting to construct a tower whose top may reach up into the heavens. Now, this, there's, there's something about that because why is he wanting to build a tower? What is, what is the goal? He says, it's, I, I want this, the, the top of the tower to reach up into the heavens. And now, it would, at, at that time, it seems implausible that they actually would believe that they could build a tower that would go all the way up into heaven. But they did build it to view the heavens. They would study the heavens. They would look into the heavens for signs. They would look into the heavens for Meaning, they would look into the heavens, and, and this was the beginning. These, we see through the study of, of religions and the study of cultures that, that this here is the very beginning of astrology. This is the beginning point, this man Nimrod, who starts this quest of looking to the signs, looking to the heavens for, for things, and they began to worship the creation rather than the creator. They, they worship the creation, the things that God created. He set these things and they, they look to that for, for answers and they look to their own knowledge and their own, uh, pinning together of this and that to get some understanding of what's going on in their world. And, and that is, that is, is really what this, this, uh, this man is trying to do is he's, he's, he's not trusting in God. He's going to build a tower that reaches into the heavens. Not, not only not only did this 
Uh, was this the beginning of astrology in this, this high tower that they are constructing? Was it pulling them away from God? But it was also, uh, we, we see that he's building this with the slime, with the mortar, with these bricks, all these things, and trying to make it a very waterproof tower, a place where they could go to if there would be another flood. If there's another flood, we need somewhere that will keep us safe. We need somewhere that we can run to for rescue. Now, God had already promised there would never, that he would never flood the earth again. But yet, they didn't believe the promises of God. They didn't believe the things that, that God had, had, had established as promises way back with Noah. And, and so they go and they build this tower and they're building this to reach up into the heavens to find meaning in the stars and the, in the sky. But it says also, it continues. It says, let us make a name, make us a name. Let us make a name for ourselves. These, these people, Nimrod, he, he, he wanted to be memorialized forever for his great achievements. He's not, he's not saying, let me make a name for God. Now, when Noah built the ark, when Noah constructed that out of God's instructions, he didn't say, let me make a name. I want to be known as the builder of the ark for all eternity. But it says that he walked humbly before the Lord, that he was a preacher of righteousness, that he pointed everything towards God. And so we see something very different here in their conquest and their achievements as they're trying to say, look at me. We see the pride that's in Nimrod's heart. And it's all about me. It's all about, I want people to notice the things that I've done. I want people to notice and see that I'm something great. Does this sound familiar in our society today? You know, sometimes, sometimes we can get mixed up in this, this, uh, pride for our country, which I believe that we should have and, and, but also accept all of, or many of the, the things that go along with our society and our pride for our country and, and this and, and all of this, we can get that mixed up with biblical principles. And, and one of these things is, is that's popular here in our Western culture is, is just looking and trying to build a name for myself. God's not all about building a name for myself. He's, he's, he's not about you going and trying to do and become something great. God wants us to amplify Him. Our, our, our social media culture today is, is, is all about that. It's all about trying to, to make myself famous. It's, yeah, there's people, there's young people all over in our high schools and middle schools and, and all in, in colleges everywhere that they're trying to make themselves famous. There's, it's an easy path to fame. It's an easy path to making money. If I can just become famous, if people can, can look, then they can see, look what, look what I did. Look what I achieved. But God's saying, I want you to, to look at me. I, I, don't, I don't want people to be paying attention to all of your achievements. Let's, let's build me up. Let's, let's lift my name up. And so, and that's the exact opposite of what we see happening here with Nimrod. He is not building up God, but rather he's saying, I want my name or our names to forever be established among these people. If we go on, we see the last of these, these goals of Nimrod that are stated there in verse 4. It says, lest we be scattered abroad 
upon the face of the whole earth. They wanted to bring unity amongst the people of the earth. They're building this great city, this great tower, in order to build unity among the people. And, and you would think, you know, that, that seems like quite a good thing. It seems like a good uh, goal to have, that, that we would unify the nations, that we would unify the people, and that we could all come, and that we would gather together in this great city. But, but God had said, I want you to go and to replenish the earth. I want you to go and be scattered and, and to replenish the earth. But they said, lest we be scattered abroad. We see them, again, fighting against the things that God had called them to do, to ask them to do. When God says, replenish the earth, go. He meant scatter. Go and, and let's, let's go to the different uh, parts of this earth so that we can repopulate it. But, but they said, let's come together lest we be scattered. And the thing is, unity and peace are not ultimate goods. They're not always good. Because better is division than collective apostasy. It's, it's, better, it's better to have some division rather than unifying behind something that is evil. Unifying behind something that God does not uh, endorse. I would rather be, uh, be divided than to be unified behind something that is false. That's what Jesus meant when he says in Luke 12, 51. When he says, to, uh, he says, suppose ye that I am come to give peace on the earth. You think that I'm just come to bring peace. I tell you, no, nay, but rather divisions. You think that I'm, I'm coming and I'm, I'm just going to, to bring peace on this earth right now through, through my message. And yes, he is the prince of peace and he will bring peace but there's also a whole lot of division because he begins to slice away at these things that we have got behind that are not truly following God he's got he's, he's slicing away this this false religion and he's he's bringing divisions among the religious people because he's saying stop believing all of this stuff over here that is not truly honoring God and so this is what I mean when I say that it's not all just peace and harmony. And, and I, I see these, see these bumper stickers that, that are out there, this coexist bumper sticker that uh, it's been out there for several years, but it just gets under my nerves because it, it, for me, what they're trying to do, they're trying to bring all of these religions and, and all these things and say, yeah, can't we, can't we all just agree that, that we all think that it's, you know, that there's the same thing, that ultimately we're all thinking the same thing. No, I can't. Well, Duffy, I, I, I can't agree with that, that, that it doesn't matter if you're saying his name is Allah or, 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 Buddha or whatever you think, you know, your God is, you can call him whatever name you want. I call him Jesus and it's all the same. No, it is not all the same. There is one God. There is one God. His name is Jesus. And I, when I come to him, I come and I follow his word and I, I listen to this and it's not to try to bring, it's not to try to bring, um, you know, my intention is not to bring division, but it will bring division when you stand for the fact that there is one God and his name is Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to get behind a one world government or a one world religion like the like the pope is trying to do. I, I, I saw an article just this week that somebody shared with me about a, a, a certain 
headquarters that uh, is is beginning construction for this um, this this place where the the Catholics and the Pope has has been in these uh, conversations with the Arab nations, and it's it's there they're trying to bring trying to build a headquarters that would that would unify the Catholic believers or the Christian believers with the Arab believers and the Muslims. And, and, and for me, it's, it's not about unity all the time. We've got to stand for what is right. We've got to stand for truth. See, Nimrod, ultimately he began and he perpetuated this false religion that was not honoring God, but rather it was pointing to himself and it was pointing to the heavens. It was pointing to uh, the worship of all of these these things that come out of astrology and, and Zoroastrianism and all these other uh, false religions that come out of this uh, this cult of Babylon. Now we got now we kind of looked into the the history part of this. I want to just bring it into our lives here today because reality is. A lot of times we we struggle with the same things that Nimrod struggled with. A lot of times we can have these these parts of us that there's there's pride that gets in the way of our ability to truly worship God as God wants to be worshipped. We see in in Proverbs chapter sixteen. Proverbs chapter sixteen it says that pride goes before destruction, a haughty a haughty spirit. Before a fall. You can see this both individually and you can see it societally as well. On a societal level. There's, there's, there's many societies that, that they get so full of themselves. So they have so much hubris and pride in these things that they, they think that they can go and accomplish everything. And all of a sudden everything comes tumbling down. You see these societies that they go and they stretch themselves far far and wide and they have all this pride and then all of a sudden it comes down because their pride destroyed them you see men that uh that that rise to to great levels in their in their companies and they'll they'll go and they they all of a sudden think that they can just go and they're they're invincible they can go and do anything and then all of a sudden everything comes crashing down everything in their life comes falling apart see pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit comes before a fall we we got to be careful about about the the things that we are trying to build up am i am i just constantly trying to build a name for myself or am i doing this in the kingdom of god am i trying to build up my family? Am I trying to build up the church? Am I trying to build up something that will stand long past with the things that are here on this earth? I want to build things that are eternal. I want to, I want to do things that are, that have eternal impact, not just things that are going to come crashing down here on this earth. That's why we see, that's why I say to avoid destruction, we need to build our life upon the rock. If all things are going to be destroyed that, that are built with pride, then let's build our life upon the rock, something that is, will stand. It's Jesus, he tells us in Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, verse 48, he says, he's like a man which built his house and he digged deep and he laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood arose, the, the stream, it beat vehemently upon the house. It could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock. 
There is a rock that we should build our lives upon. There is a rock that we should build our families upon. There is a rock that we should establish the things that are our, our pursuits upon. There are, there's a rock, and the name of that rock is Jesus Christ. The name of that rock is the church. The name of that rock is, is, is something that will come and it will last forever. It will last for eternity because that rock cannot be destroyed. That rock is, 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 is stable ground. So if you want to avoid destruction, build upon the rock. Build things upon the rock. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus is speaking of the church here. And he says to Peter as as he's launching the church, Jesus, he says, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell, they shall not prevail against it. This church will stand the test of time. This church, when it's built upon the rock, when it's built upon the revelation of who I am. See, uh, Peter had just answered the question that Jesus had asked, which was, who am I? Who do people say that I am? And, and, and the disciples, they began saying, well, some say that you're, you're the second coming of John the Baptist, or you are Isaiah, or you are Elijah, these, these individuals. And Jesus, he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the one that we've been waiting for. You are God come down, robed himself in flesh. And that's when Jesus says, yes, that is what I'm talking about. That's the foundation. That is the understanding that this church will be built upon. That's the rock. And that's exactly what we ought to build our lives upon is, is a foundation that is on Jesus Christ. He ought to be the center of everything that we do. Everything that we do, everything that we pursue, everything that we are trying to accomplish ought to be with Jesus at the center of it. I don't want to pursue things that don't have Jesus at the center. Yeah, that's, that's not to say you can't be entertained. You can't have things that, that will build up our life, you know, that, um, or that, that our families go and, and you may do, but, but I want the, the, for, at the center of it all to be Jesus Christ. At the center of it all. Do not get my mind and my eyes too far off. Because I want to make sure that I'm standing upon the rock. I don't want my job to be so important to me that I start missing church. Every week after week after week. Because I have to, I have to go and I have to make money. And, and No. Jesus is at the center. I can't sacrifice uh, my, my, my kids growing up in church because some sports are going to take them away from it. Sports are not more important than, than them learning this, this foundational truth that the church and my, my, my attendance at church is important. It's going to be what's going to help me to get into eternity. I mean, I, I see, I see parents all the time that, that they will, they'll, join these travel leagues and all these things for their kids and they'll take their kids out of church and what's it teaching them? 
It's teaching them priorities. It's teaching them priorities. I want the priority to be church. I want the priority to be that I come into the house of worship. And I'm thankful for parents here that they, they make that a priority to set Jesus Christ at the center of their family's lives. I'm so thankful for our families and that do that. Amen. Revelation chapter 21, verse number 2, tells us of a city, one city, that at the end of time is going to be left standing. John, he saw that holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem is the one city that will not be destroyed. This is the one city, this city which is in heaven, this place where we are going to go to this this one city, and I want that to be where my hopes, I want that to be where my desires, I want that to be the thing that I'm trying to pursue. It's not about the things on this earth, for this earth shall pass away. This earth will be destroyed. These things are temporary, but that is not temporary. God's uh, God's city, New Jerusalem, is is where I want my my uh, my focus to be. So we've got a. There is a fight that is, is happening against pride. There's a fight that needs to happen against pride. One, we see that God resists the proud. In James chapter 4, verse 6, if you could go there, James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, He giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. God actively works against the prideful. It's, it's no doubt that you've experienced opposition in your life. I'm sure that there's been opposition that you have experienced in, in many different forms. And I mean, from, from just mild things like, um, you know, a car full of people who are disagreeing about which restaurant you should go to. You have that kind of disagreement uh, to, uh, you know, things where, uh, you know, it just seems like everything is crashing in on your life and you have opposition that's coming in from every other from every side. If you would take that opposition to another level, let's say you had angels and demons that were fighting against you. That that's quite that that's quite the opposition that you might have, some spiritual opposition that would be coming against you. But but this this scripture here, it doesn't say that it's the forces of this world. It doesn't say that it's it's the, the angels or, or demons that are, that are fighting and opposing you. It says, God resists the proud. That's, that's quite the resistance. When God himself would oppose you when you are in this prideful state. When God himself, I mean, what, what hope could you possibly have? What, what, what power could you call on when God is fighting against you? This is, this is what the proud are standing up against though. When pride enters into the equation, failure and destruction are, are no longer just this hypothetical outcome. They are a certainty. Because God resists the proud. So if God resists the proud, I don't want to be one of those that God is resisting. We must resist pride. 
We must begin to walk in humility. We must learn to walk according to the way that God is asking us to walk. So before God becomes our opponent, we would do very well to resist anything that God resists. Let's look at Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says that he has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now, I want to walk humbly with my God. This is really what, what, we're, the, the just, or what we're trying to talk about this morning is, is learning to walk humbly, learning because humility is, is really the only place where true worship can happen. The only place is, is the title of our, our lesson today is worshiping the one true God. But, but the worship can only come when we come humbly before the Lord. When we come humbly, when, I, when I'm not coming in pride, when I'm not coming with all of the things that I have wrapped up in my heart that I don't want to let go of. But when God is calling me and he's saying, would you drop this thing or would you, would you let go of this over here in order to serve me? A humble man would say, yes, God, whatever you ask, God, I'll do it. God, whatever you're asking of me, Lord, I come humbly before you. And I don't come with pride holding on to these things, trying to resist you in every chance I get. But Lord, when you, when you say let go, God, I let go because I walk humbly before you. See, sincere worship comes out of humility. Sincere worship comes out of, out of letting go of things and letting God have his way. Sincere worship comes when we are not walking in pride. Sincere worship is done in humility. We see that, that worship is really, it's, it's the overflow of the heart. See, humility, it pushes aside the pride. Humility, it, it recognizes that God alone is worthy to be lifted up. Humility recognizes that it's not about my pursuits. God, it's about your pursuits. That's what I'm, I'm trying to, to bring us around to today is, is to think about, God, what are, what are my pursuits in this life? Am I trying to draw closer to you? Am I willing to open up my hands and let go? Or do I have a clenched fist with all of my pursuits, with all the things that I think are important? The things that are my um, you know, the things that I feel that I have the right to this. I have the right to go and to live life how I want to live life. That's pride. It's walking with pride. But God is calling us. He's saying, open up your hand and allow me to come and walk, walk with, alongside you as you walk in humility. See, God is drawn to those who walk humbly with the Lord. God is drawn to those who would be humble before him. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. It says, For thus saith the high and the lofty one that inhabiteth the eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and the holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God is drawn to those who come to him in humility. God is drawn to us when we have a humble heart, a humble spirit. 
Psalm chapter 10, verse 17. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You, thou will prepare their heart. Thou will cause thine ear to hear. I mean, this is, this is the place that I want to be with God. When I, when I come to him in prayer, when I come to an altar, I don't want to come with all my pride, with all these things that I'm not willing to let go of. But I want to come and say, Lord, whatever you will, I worship you. God, I, I bow down before you. I don't come with pride. I don't come with arrogance. I don't come thinking that I know the right way forward. God, I just want to tr- put my trust in you. I just want to put my uh, put my desires and the things that you desire for me. God, I want to go and do the things that you are calling me to do. But I can only do that if I walk in humility. Believing, God, that you know the right way. Believing that you are the way. Believing that the things that I think are most important aren't always most important. I mean, there's only room for one God. We'll finish it up with this here today, this thought. The fact that there's only room for one God. So we must not exalt ourselves or any other above God. Sometimes we make ourselves the God of our life. We make the things that I want, the pursuits that I have. It's in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Exodus 20, verse 3. It says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. This is a commandment from God. You should have no other gods before me. But then we see in Judges 17 that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They made themselves gods. They just did that which was right in their own eyes. And, and this uh, comes to us in this, uh, this passage here in a very um, wicked part of the, the history of the people. We see Micah, this man Micah, who he made a house of gods. He made an ephod of teraphim, consecrated one of his sons, and, and he became his priest. And then he goes and, and he, he sets up these these. Uh, idols and these things that they would worship and 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 why does he do that why 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 do they get off to serving all these other things all these other gods it's because they just did that which was right in their own eyes they made themselves higher their own thoughts higher than god's thoughts their own ways higher than god's ways second thessalonians chapter two says let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God speaking of the Antichrist here there will be one who will make himself as God and there will be those who are deceived by him and look to him as the answer for all their problems but I don't want to fall under that category. I don't, I don't want to be the one who would make myself God. I don't want to be the one who would look to others as being the, the one that could be my provider and be the answer for every one of my problems. I look to Jesus Christ. I look to Him. There is only one true God. There is only one true God. And it is God Almighty. It is Jesus Christ. It is the one who came and died for my sins. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Is one Lord. 
Can you just go to that last scripture in Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 45. He says, I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. This is the word of God. I am the Lord. And so, have you allowed yourself, have you allowed yourself to replace God with anything in your life? God is the only one who is worthy of our worship. God is the only one who is worthy of our praise. Really, this is all about priorities today. Where's your priorities at? Do you have any place of pride in your life where you're holding on to things that God has asked you to let go of? Do you have anything that that you could just come and say, Lord, I'm humble before you today. God, whatever you ask of me, God, I'll do it. God, whatever you want to do, God, whatever your plans are, Lord, I have your way in my life. Amen. Can we just lift up our hands wherever you're at today? Just lift up your hands. Let's just pray that prayer right now. Lord, if there's any bit of pride in me, God, any pride in me, Lord, that would exalt itself against you, that would fight against you, that would fight against the things that you're asking me to do, Lord, there's there's things, there's, there's areas of sin in my life that I haven't been willing to let go of because of pride. Because I'm exalting myself above you, Lord. Because I think that it's a trivial matter. But Lord, if you've asked me to let go of it, Lord, then let me have enough humility today to let go, Lord. I'm the same as Nimrod, Lord, following after my thoughts and my ways and my pride. Lifting myself up, Lord, if I just want to let go or want to hold on to all these things that you're asking me to let go of. So, Lord, I come to you humbly today, Lord, and asking you. Lord, penetrate every area of my life. Penetrate the deep recesses of my heart. Lord, the things, God, that you can come in. Lord, you can begin, Lord, to help us to learn to follow you, to trust you. Lord, have your way today. Have your way today in me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I surrender.